The air is alive with heat lightning tonight at the Cracked Elysium, with the crowd creeping ever upwards towards 500 hivers, all out to catch a glimpse of Zygonia's return to the stage. It's been months since the band went into seclusion to work on their newest album, and the anticipation here in the club is thicker than a bowl of sump stew. Can't wait to hear it, Gabo. As we are going into this warmer time, it seems as if the chem snow is once again swirling through the sublevels. Interestingly enough, with both the chill factor and rad levels climbing, I have to say I'm surprised to see how many mid-hivers are slumming around down here tonight. Well, Marky, this is the event of the year. The rumor mill has piled high with theories on Zygonia's retirement after their family was extremely bloodily. By the way, that's still an unsolved set of murders sometime last summer. But you know what they say, there's nothing like pain and despair to get all those creative juices flowing again in the artists we love. Speaking of pain, despair, and flow, this year's murder ball season is seeing lots of blood on the catwalks as we approach mid-season. The chromed mastiffs still hold the top spot, but the glacial marauders and sump rat rat catchers are hot on their heels. The mastiffs take on bruising bastards tomorrow night, marking the first time the Auxilia and Warmongers will face off this season. How do you feel about that, Beast? Uh, honestly, I'm not really looking forward to it. The Auxilia are just going to be murdered. Like, right off the bat. Like, it's just going to be kind of boring. It's, little, it's not going to be the best match out there, no, right? It's just boring. It's just going to be like, hey, we're here. Turn to and fro, proper formations. And then they're going to be murdered. So they're going to get waffle stomped into the waffle stomped into the stairs. Basically. Actually. Basically. Add more blood to the catwalks. I mean, do you really think that a freaking auxilia is going to stand up to a warmonger on all like even a, yeah, even, toe a to toe. even a bad day? Like, <laughs> you know? Useless. We are here broadcasting a live Vox stream of the first concert of the Return to Tenebristle Horror Tour. We are 665.66 UHMR Chemrat Radio. As always, I am your friendly neighborhood plasma fiend, Goblin King, and I am joined tonight by my partners in all things that fall under the neon-drenched label of criminality, the maestro of mayhem himself, Marky. My people. Hello. And the bulldog of Baskerville Alley himself, Beast. Hello, everyone. <laughs> We're continuing with the literary thing. I love it. I like the the best part is this is a literary reference that came from Marky. Hey. Who doesn't read. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't read. <laughs> so during the series so far, we have covered the history of campaigns, the rules for running campaigns, and how they interact with the new and emerging crusade rules. Then we dipped into some of our favorite campaign moments. While we have remained focused on Warhammer 40k, it's kind of important to note, I feel anyway, that all of these concepts can basically be used anywhere. They can even be tweaked when outlining a short story or working on other creative writing projects. Short story? Did you say short story? I'm writing short stories. Short story. Did you talk about short stories? Short story? <laughs> I have beasts. Short story? Mentioned. Short story? Is, short story. Is, is Tom writing short story? Short story? Short story? Short story? I think Beast is writing <laughs> short stories. <laughs> I couldn't tell. No, actually, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> that was the story. It's over. I'm writing on it. I'm writing a short, long story. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. As an easy example of this in different contexts would be the game of Mordenheim, which is kind of a Necromunda or Kill Team style skirmish game that's set in the Warhammer fantasy battle world. 
The city of Mordenheim has been hit by a comet containing a lot of warped stone, which has plunged it into a semi-apocalyptic state. Adventuring bands, or war bands, have gotten together to hunt down and get as much of this resource as they can. Basically, you play out a smaller scale battle or skirmish, with the end goal being a warp stone objective or other treasures that are scattered around the map. With your army being based on a band of characters, not just a nameless body, as we see in larger war games like Warhammer 40k. So, yeah, you know, so you like, only have eight guys, you're going to name them all. Yeah, so it's basically a game about a bunch of dudes hopped up on warp dust killing each other. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah, really, yeah. It's, it's really funny because I literally was just talking to one of my acquaintances uh, who lives in Bosnia and he was talking about Mordenheim because he was, you know, I was telling him, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I do 40K. And he's like, like Warhammer. He's like, oh, I know that. I know this. Uh, I, I'm uh, Mordenheim. I played Mordenheim. And I was like, ah, oh, OK. All right. That's awesome. You know what's up? That's awesome. I love Mordenheim. Yeah. yeah uh, guys, guy lives in Bosnia. You know what I mean? That's awesome. Like, that's yeah, how that's far cool. these games go. Oh yeah. So one of the one of the other things that kind of creeps into skirmish games that doesn't really creep into 40k but does help to outline these campaign ideas is the idea that wounds remove you from the battle, but they don't necessarily mean death. Winning gives XP and loot, which can then be used to modify and grow your warband of adventurers. It's a smaller scale, but lots of flavor is baked right into the storytelling that happens at the tabletop. And a lot of times people who play Mordenheim are playing Mordenheim for years. This isn't like my war band just started. The coolest Mordenheim figure I ever saw was a cannon operator. Like it was a cannon team for the Empire. I don't know if it was Kislev or just the Empire. In I think it was just the Empire in general. And one of the dudes didn't have a leg anymore. He had a crutch. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, like my third game of Mordenheim, he took a wound and lost the leg. So I hacked his leg off and get bashed a crutch mm -hmm. under his arm. And he's oh, the yeah. artillery commander, so it doesn't matter. Like, he can still mm -hmm. go out there. And... <laughs> Which I thought was fucking, is fucking yeah. badass. Yeah, I always, I always really like that aspect of, like, smaller games where, yeah, I, I mean, we've done it in larger games. And, like, some of the examples we've talked about in the past were, like, Kevin would play me. Uh, and I would be playing my Death Watch. He would be playing Imperial Guard, and he beat me. And I was like, "Hey, you know, Kevin, because you beat me, I'm going to give you this Death Watch shotgun because we right. essentially did like a training op." And I said, "If you beat me, you know, I will, you know, if you can beat us, you know, kind of just being arrogant about it. Like, if you can beat us, then we will give you some kind of treasure, you know." So, and then he added that Death Watch shotgun to one of his commanders. And it's exactly the idea that a lot of these smaller skirmish games instill at their core is that everything becomes kind of the rise and the fall of the hero. And that's something that you can 100% evolve into your Warhammer 40k games as Marky just laid out. That's, that's weird. I started saying good example, Marky, and I ended with saying good example, Marky. I'm, I'm a hey, brilliant yeah. wordsmith at times. <laughs> hey, way better than me, man. <laughs> In creative writing, you could use a lot of these concepts too, to lay out a basic template of the story, focusing on the motivations of either the heroes the war bands that they belong to, the nations, or even the factions that they are connected to, which helps build a scenario. As Kev himself did, you can even use the games that you are playing to directly inform the lore that you might be writing. This gives you a great foundation for writing the short fiction that takes place in whatever world you're working on. As another real-world example, Forgotten Realms, the popular Dungeons & Dragons setting, 
started out as a homebrew game. Had a couple of maps and a few general campaign notes and places of interest. And it was just this one group of five guys that really liked that world. And it grew from that into a plot point-based narrative or campaign module, which finally became an entire campaign setting, which is one of the settings that's used the world over to play Dungeons & Dragons games in. Not only that, but there is entire novel series that were spawned by the Forgotten Realm setting, including the most famous or arguably most famous one, which is about uh, Drist Erden, which is the, the drow elf that everybody's super obsessed about. That all comes from Forgotten Realms. That came from a group of guys at a campaign table for D&D fucking around. <laughs> Dude, one of, my, one of my favorite things about D&D, uh, I've only been in a you know, a couple campaigns and just how you were talking about how Mordenheim, you know, they, they have these Mordenheim war bands for, you know, they, or they can't have them for years. And, you right. know, D&D kind of coincides with, you know, the longer the campaign, the more attached you are to the character, the more you attached or immersed you are in the world. At least that's kind of my, my goal when I play D&D is to be extremely immersed in the game. You know, I want like, you know, if we're in a tavern, I want it to be, you know, the lights dimmed and, uh, music playing and or not music but like uh you know kind of like a little background uh, noises like a, and stuff yeah like, like, that. A, like you know someone's playing a lute or you know you're hearing frogs outside or you know things to to keep you extremely immersed in it and like invested because when you're ultimately playing these games you're trying to i guess it's kind of escapism right you know you're trying to you're trying to immerse yourself into something else that that makes you feel good so right when you play these smaller games, you're immersing yourself into the story of your team and becoming more attached, kind of how we talked about in some of the past episodes. Obviously, it translates to Warhammer 40K, Warhammer Fantasy Battle, and Age of Sigmar, because those have also spawned novels in the form of everything that's released by the Black Library. And whether or not that stuff started as somebody's table game or whether or not that was somebody just wanted to write in the universe doesn't necessarily matter. The fact that there are campaigns and the fact that there is a way to play the game of Warhammer 40k with these sort of story elements in place helps to inform the way that that greater immersion, as Marky just laid out, kind of happens. Having that foundation story to help you build a world instead of just trying to think of something off the back, you know, just like in D&D, when you're... When you're going into a dungeon, a good DM is not going to be like, all right, you enter the dungeon. The DM's going to be like, okay, you know, I mean, I'm not a great example of it, but I'm going to try. You know, it's humid out. You can feel the, you know, the sweat drops dripping off the back of your neck as you enter this dark tunnel. The lights are dimmer. Your, your eyes aren't adjusted yet. It's still dark. And as you enter deeper and deeper into the tunnel, your eyes slightly start to adjust and make out small shapes and uh, a movement. soft, a soft breeze comes across your nose, filling it with the smell of stale air and piss. <laughs> like I said, I'm not, I'm not the best person for it. But they're establishing that foundation, that story. It's, it's taking, you know, not being the most elegant speaker or not knowing the best words is a thing that even people who have been talking and writing for a long time have problems with. I stumble over my words in these recordings all the time. I stumble stumble over words when I'm running D&D games. It's the fact that you're willing to put in the effort is the thing mm. that makes it cool and immersive in a, in a right. lot of ways. But yeah, just like building that foundation of a story 
to help immerse yourself is kind of like what Ryan is getting at. When they build these 30K, 40K, or Mordenheim stories and backgrounds, it helps you immerse yourself into the game of understanding like your your army or your war band. But that's all, that's all essentially point Z. And what we want to talk about is how to start at point A and kind of work there. So as we laid out in episode one, historically, there are several different types of templates that are just easy to use to kind of pull off the shelf when you're designing a campaign. But all campaigns are essentially focused on telling that collaborative story. So it doesn't matter which one you're using, narrative, branching narrative, escalation, map campaign. At the end of the day, the thing that you're entering into with your players, with your buddies, is that collaborative story mode. You're getting into that space to do this. When you set out to design a short campaign, like a weekend campaign, or maybe a month-long set of garage games played every Friday night, most of the time you're going to have a goal that drives that game. In D&D, this could be an introduction to the rules or an introduction to the way that the classes work. And then you just sort of wrap that into a short story about a goblin warband that's menacing this town. In a skirmish game like Necromunda or a Kill Team, it can be learning the movement and combat-specific rules, all while detailing out how your warband got together in the first place. In 40k, it could be learning your army through an escalating set of missions, and if you're playing in the same small group, you can tailor these conflicts to your chosen factions. So the idea is that these short intro campaigns you can use to teach the rules, even if you're bringing in a new player, or to reinforce the rules. One of the things that we encountered or that these guys encountered when I joined the group was all of my knowledge or the vast majority of my knowledge stopped at like late sixth edition. So these guys spent a lot of time training me not to think that way, to think the way that the game had changed pretty universally by eighth edition that a, we still a lot of the failed miserably <laughs> <laughs> hey hey you tried to teach me okay <laughs> i got it i got it i got what it eventually do what do you mean they have last guns <laughs> that's, a, that's a totally different story marky and i got into that conversation off camera and let me tell you marky like, yeah there's a couple of times where i'm like kevin how many arms do your guardsmen have Right. <laughs> do they have seven arms because <laughs> you're literally shooting your 90th volley out of this unit. <laughs> yeah the other thing but, i want to kind of uh also inject into this is you can also yeah, yeah. test out uh house house rules or flavor rules or oh, rules. exactly yeah best. so at, n- not only if you're obviously you know you can test out these new rules or you can te- you can test out rules for to, to learn the, the core game, but you can also test out rules, like I said, house rules that can also flavor your game up a little bit more. Like, for example, we have our plot, armor. plot, yeah, our plot armor house rule, where essentially if you have a named character that did something extremely, uh, you know, it always comes back down to Billy. Billy is a prime example of someone well, who because has plot he's, armor. he's the first. Exactly. You Billy know? was our first, you know, house rule as we played this. Like, you know, let's try this out. Let's try this rule out. Let's see how it works. And it's worked out pretty well for us. But you can try out all these new flavorful rules as you're as you're playing more and more and more. Yeah. So however you're using it, however you're setting up this stuff, your first campaign, you're likely to have a rough story arc that helps get the first game to that epic conclusion. Say that you want it to escalate over a couple of weeks to a 2,000-point game or a Saturday that's just filled to the brim with the apocalypse level gaming that we find 
personally as a group, super satisfying. Doing an apocalypse game is amazing. Getting there is badass. I've never looked more forward to a phase in a game than apocalypse when you're resolving the shots. Oh yeah. I have, oh, yeah. I, I mean, Oh, cause you do it all at the same time, you know? And it's just like, it's one of those times where you spend so long just dishing out damage. And then you're like, is it enough? What did it do? <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly, I mean, you're literally, exactly. and that's the thing, like the whole time you're just like, bring it down, bring it down. And then you're like, did we, <laughs> you know, yep. Yep. you have to like smoke a cigarette afterwards. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And then I'm just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going to resolve this. It uh, wipes off half of them. I'm like, you dick. <laughs> An easy way to establish all of this, and I think the best way to establish all of this, although not the only way to establish all of this, is to use a plot point system. You guys have heard me say plot points a lot. And we've never really sat down and defined what a plot point is. So unlike a linear module or a linear storytelling model, plot points are designed to allow for a sandbox style action that is set between a set of circumstances that would drive the story forward. A really good example of plot point gaming actually is the way that Bethesda designs their role-playing games. You know, there are, there's a lot of sandbox crap you can do in Fallout 4, but there are set events, there are set quests, I guess Critical is what they call them. Points, Critical plot yeah. points. That as soon as you hit them, they advance the story. And that's a lot what the plot point system is based on. So a plot point system might set you out knowing that there's a fixed outcome. So say you've decided on a fixed outcome, something like the planet will be rescued by the space Marines. You're going to use those plot points to set up and drive the campaign towards that conclusion. The first plot point might be that civil unrest on the planet breaks out with chaos behind and pulling all of the strings. The second plot point might be the PDF holds out in a valiant defense, dying to the last man, just trying to stem the tides long enough for reinforcements to arrive. That concluding plot point, that conclusion, that fixed outcome you've already decided on, is that those reinforcements do arrive and they overwhelm the chaos forces. And that's fine. It's fine to set a conclusion to your first campaign. It's, it's fine to set a conclusion to your 90th campaign. It's fine to work within those confines and to use those plot points, whether or not you're saying we're going to play three games in this campaign, or if you're going to say we're going to match three plot point objectives in this campaign. By, by no means do you want to, or do you have to start at the most epic no. scale, you know, campaign or crusade. You can always, you know, use the, the kiss rule of keep it, keep it simple and you know, have a linear storyline there that it's there for that, you know, and then build right. off that linear storyline in a later, you know, in a later crusader campaign, you keep it simple, it, you, you work it out and then you, you go off of that or you build off that. I always, yeah. I always use the rule of two, right. Whenever you have, you come up with your, your linear line, right. And that's fine. The outcome, you can always get to the outcome. It's, you just have two roads of getting there. Right. right, right. So you exactly. have your stage one and then it's win or lose. Where does it go? And you can still, I mean, the middle, the middle, you know, your second plot point can be the same. It's just a different way of getting there, you know, and, and, what, that, and that's super easy to come up with. Yeah. And your plot points are really there to bring everything back to the linear story you're trying to tell. It's a way to refocus it. Even with them set, 
just like Beast was saying, you know, with using branching conclusions, the games that happen in between them doesn't have to be set. The games can waver greatly. Maybe chaos is overwhelming the Imperial forces greatly. Then you get to that plot point, you readjust, you have some storyline element that's introduced, such as the Dark Angels show up on the other side of the planet and are bombarding the crap out of the back end, but your players aren't involved with that or whatever. You can come up with ways to rein it back in, essentially. Get back to that outcome, that path that we're talking about, that linear path. So the end strength and plot points is how moldable they are, how expandable they are, as they can be used to drive a branching narrative as well. And the reason that that's important to bring up is just like Tom illustrated a second ago, you can use these or you can branch them. You can, you can allow for branching or you can embrace the branch when it comes up. You can choose your own adventure book if you want to. You can just keep giving divisions and keep driving it over, uh, you know, out and out and out and out. A very common second step to do in a lot of this stuff is to set is to design four major outcomes. So instead of saying the Imperium is going to win, you're going to have a win condition where the Imperium holds the planet. You're going to have a win condition where the planet falls to chaos. You're going to have a win condition where the planet is completely overcome by Xenos. And that can even have its own multiple flavors into it, because obviously the Eldari are going to do something different than the Tyranids are. And then you could have the planet escapes all of these fates and becomes the home to a renegade faction, such as Freeblades or Pirates. The planet wins independence. The same plot points can be used from the above scenario, but you're just tweaking them to allow for a much looser flow. And, and it's not even a lot of tweaking. You know, the civil unrest still consumes the planet, the hands of chaos, the PDF is still struggling to hold this retreating battle, reinforcements still arrive, but the fate of the planet is no longer something you're concerned with. You're going to let it kind of fall into one of these four different places. The other thing that you can do with this type of style is you can use it to inform the different types of missions you set up. So as Tom brought up, if you've got a, if, if, this side wins, choose this path. If this side wins, choose this path. You could say, if Chaos player wins, move on to mission Night Fight. If Imperium player wins, move on to mission Plant the Bomb. Is it? It's not Plant the Bomb. Sabotage? What's the bomb yeah, planning it's, one? It's, it's like Sabotage, yeah. It's almost like if you're an older person, they used to have these R.L. Stein books where you can kind of choose, you choose your fate. <laughs> yep. So if you open the door, go to page 19. If you decide yeah. to ignore the door, then, go to page like, 12. You're like, I'm going to, I'm going to see what happens if I open the door. <laughs> yeah. yeah and yeah, it's like, and then it, you, you flip to 19. You're like, you die. You're all, you're just like, a giant, a giant shark banana eats you. <laughs> you're just like, fuck. <laughs> oh, oh my God. I thought Marky was the only one that was going to talk about attack on Titan. Giant shark bananas. Jesus. No, that was there's a there's a game that's very similar to this. It's like a role playing game, but literally one of the villains is a giant banana that is also a shark. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like a banana. He peels back and then his mouth opens. Like uh, the peel goes back and then it's like a shark head and it's like and chases you down and eats you. Does he shoot little like torpedo bananas? At no, you? but he has little bananas for feet. I thought you were gonna say he has a little it's banana. Pretty awesome. I'm like, oh. No, his, feel, his, feel his, his tail is the little banana. <laughs> you know the you know the brown part of the banana? That's his dick. <laughs> oh god. It, it ripens. <laughs> 
watch out, he's ripe. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially the entire reason to use plot points is that you have a lot of flexibility. You can kind of endlessly expand them or bring them in as you want. And it allows for that flexibility of sandbox gaming while still keeping to a story-driven narrative. And this doesn't, you know, we, we, we're probably not going to come back and touch on other games throughout the rest of the episode, but kind of keep in mind that we laid out examples in Dungeons and Dragons and we laid out examples in skirmish games because none of this campaign stuff is married to Warhammer 40k. This is the type of stuff that in practice can be associated with a bunch of stuff, including story writing as as these guys brought up with the choose your own adventure books. Like literally those are plot point books. Yeah. <laughs> or uh short, or short Zork. Stories. Short stories. Short stories. You want to talk about short stories again? Short do you guys stories. remember do you guys remember Zork, the text based adventurer on DOS? Oh it sounds so, so familiar. So you type like you'd type like East and then it would give you a block of text. And then you'd type like I pick up the rock and it'd be like, that is the wrong command. And then you'd be like rock in hand. That is the wrong. They, they were infuriating, but they and were it's fun. Like, you have dysentery. You're right. just like, fuck. <laughs> Still want to get that game. You could, you could turn into a dark enough uh, point and it'd be like, it is dark. You are eaten by a grew. And you'd be like, what the fuck is a grew? <laughs> How do I get away? <laughs> it's like a shrew, but large. <laughs> So the other side of all of this setup is the backstory. Why are these armies here? What are their goals? Why would any of them drive the story forward, meeting with those plot points to advance towards the conclusion that you've designed? It's generally easiest to split these, the existing factions in Warhammer K into three major groups in order to design your backstories. The Imperium, Chaos, and Xenos. But you can drill down a lot further. Looking at your player base is a good way to start. Maybe you do need a different reason for the Space Wolves to care. Maybe it's as simple as while they may generally align with one another, the Sisters of Battle have a very different reason to be at the battle than those Space Wolves. The key here is to not set out thinking, I need to justify every faction that may come out. Maybe just start with some general rules and 100% use the tropes that are built into the factions already. As Marky likes to point out, the Necrons are always going to be pissy when somebody is on their lawn. Don't overthink why the Necrons are involved in your campaign. Just fall back to the joke that every world is a tomb world. It's that go. fucking simple. Tyranids are be. always... Yeah, it can be. Exactly. Tyranids are always going to want to consume biomass. Lots of bodies in a massive battle. Seems like a Las Vegas buffet to me. It's cheap entry and you get all you can eat. It's, it's really, really that simple. And to drill down into the Imperium side, most planets have a PDF, so there's your Imperial Guard player taken care of. However, don't make that the only thing that happens. You can 100% say things like, hey, Tau players, give me a reason why the tower here. Engage with your audience, just the same way that you would ask a D&D player to come up with a background for their character. Yeah, maybe they've read something in a book at some point. Maybe they have personal lore of their own of why they would work with, you know, like a Space Marine chapter or an Imperial Knight household. And they're like, yeah, you know, in the past, I've helped out multiple households. Uh, I'm well-renowned, you know, to, to multiple households. This is why I would help, you know, this Imperial faction, uh, you know, in this battle. The other side of this too, and, and this goes to designing your goals and designing your conclusions, is remember that those don't have to be huge either. 
in most cases, there's a lot of major things that these factions are all clamoring to capture all the time in, in the 40k universe. Standard template constructs are huge. And you can pretty much justify why various Imperium factions would come to complete loggerheads over getting a standard template construct. Knights will fight the Death Watch. The Space Wolves will show up and fuck everyone over. It, literally, the Imperium will eat itself alive so that one of those factions can go back to the High Lords of Terra and say, look at the shiny I got. And they won't give a shit who they trample over to do it. It could also be as simple as ancient alien tech. Same thing. Now you have the Aldari and the Jukari who are also going to be invested in this fight. And how many Space Marine factions, Marky, specifically are nuts for fucking alien relics? It's uh, not just know. the Death Watch. <laughs> or maybe, yep, yeah, yeah. Or maybe your army is lost and trying to journey their way home. And this is an old trope that doesn't even come from the Warhammer 40k setting. In fact, the entire show Star Trek Voyager and Battlestar Galactica are literally this premise, trying to get home. And all of the action that happens in those stories comes from the shit that those crews hit on their journey home. Or trying to find a home, so to speak. Yeah. So once you have all these basics, you can expand it as much or as little as you want. You can pull tricks from D&D and other role-playing games, too. If needed, as I mentioned earlier, why not have some of your players or some of your, your core designers come up with backstories for their own stuff? Or just as people sign up, say, hey, what faction are you playing and why are they interested in Planet B? Planet P. Planet B. I knew there was a brain bug. You've got the bug, man. <laughs> That's right. Once all that's decided, figure out the scope of the game. How long do you want it to run? Do you want to have this all resolve on a long weekend? Are you looking for a fun excuse to have a handful of games? Or maybe you want to run a six-week escalation. Maybe you're trying to drag more people into your LGS and you want to really start using Crusade rules and even build into a multiple campaign series where the first Crusade campaign concludes and then people come back with their veteran Crusade armies for the second run. Yeah, crusade rules like, are great. Babe, I, I'm stuck in. I have to play these games. I'm, I'm in this campaign. They need me. The Imperium needs me. You don't understand, babe. I won't get any good stuff if I don't fight, babe. Me, Did you guys see that their CBS is doing a True Lies series? No. What? So, so true. So CBS is doing a True Lies series based on the movie True Lies, and at oh, one great. point, and at one point, the the guy who's playing. I can't remember. I almost said Dennis Quaid, but that's not his name. I cannot remember his fucking name. But the, the, uh, the car salesman? Yeah, Arnold's character. Oh, oh Arnold's character. character. The, the spy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the guy who's playing the spy at one point decides to bring his wife on a mission to Paris because she thinks, you know, it's the same setup as the movie. Harry Stamper. Cheating. Harry, yeah. Harry Stamper. Nice. That's his name. Nice. Um, and and one of his partners is like, why the fuck would you bring her on a mission? And he's like, she thought yeah. I was cheating. What was I going to do? And he was like, you tell her you're in a fantasy football league. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, the scene, with the, uh, the scene with the car salesman always gets me where he's just like talking and talking. And he, he just, just like, punches him. Yeah, he punches the shit out of him. And he's just like, ah, oh, ah. Oh. Well, it's like, uh, what was it? Anger management. He's like, you know, the... Uh, 
Jack Nicholson's like, yeah, go out with this girl. Like it's for your therapy. You have to go out on a date with this girl and take her, you know, like go home with her. And then, uh, you know, Adam Sandler comes back and he's like, Hey, anything happened? He's like, Oh yeah. Your wife called. He's like, what, what did you tell her? And he's like, well, I told her you were out with a woman and took her home. And he's like, what? why would you do that? Why would you tell her that? And he's like, because it's the truth. He's like, well, what, why would you tell her the truth? He's like, well, what was I supposed to say? He's like, I ate some bad guacamole and couldn't stop shitting. You could tell her anything. <laughs> I feel like dancing. <laughs> couldn't stop shitting. <laughs> I'm a lady. Oops. No, I'm not. <laughs> Woody Harrelson's great. So crusade rules are great for stretching a basic or developing idea. And they allow the campaign to expand even out of being bound, as I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, to a single campaign. The crusade advancements made in your first campaign roll over into your next crusade, even if it's not a linked campaign. Maybe you run the first campaign and somebody else at your LGS runs the second campaign, but since it belongs or is happening in the same sector, the same battle groups are around and those battle groups already obviously went through this earlier campaign. Crusade rules also allow for a wealth of development between your plot points. Don't feel like you have to use them though. Just like the basic campaign templates that we introduced in episode one of this series, use as much or as little of the crusade rules or any of this stuff as you really want to. Tailor your experience. So to give you guys some examples in context, as a gaming group, we messed around with the idea of short campaigns more than once building our own crusade elements, and even driving forward until we got those sweet, sweet apocalypse games that we all love. For a concrete example, let's bring up the Mojavius Segundus mini campaign we ran. It's Mark, uh, not Mark, it's Beast's favorite name I've ever come up with. <laughs> I remember I was like, the planet is Mojavius Segundus, and you're like, Ryan, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> You were so mad at me. I say that about a lot of things. I can't pronounce it. It's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) We we literally lived uh, on the west side of a massive desert named the Mojave, and I was like, perfect. Planet name done. Segundus. Easy. (laughs) Because it's always Segundus. It's never Primus. It's always Segundus. In this case, we 100% knew that every what everybody was playing, which helped us out. And since we had a very small player base, we also knew what we wanted to work into a very specific game play style. In this case, we decided to do duos. So our garage play normally ended up in duos or in kind of like loose free-for-alls with usually Kev and I or Beast and I aligning with one another to fight other people. And it had never Everyone gotten else. to a point... Yeah, it had never gotten to a point where Marky and I had been on the same team. In fact, it, it, it was at a point where Beast was like, we've been playing with you for two years and I've never played against you. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of had this base to go on. And around that time, I picked up a secondhand Tyranid army and Marky was just finishing up his gene stealers. So all of the pieces fell into place with this. And at the same time, Beast, I think you were just approaching or had just passed the 2,000 point limit with your knights. And Mm -hmm. Kev had kind of finally decided the puzzle pieces that led to to his lore, which is his rogue trader-themed guard army. Mm -hmm. Basically, like, the perfect storm in a lot of ways happened. And it helped us really write this, right? Or it wrote itself, really. 
Our backstory is incredibly simple. Mojave's Segundas is a backwater mining world exporting heavy minerals in exchange for water. It boasts a relatively sparse imperial population, but a massive penal population. I think we decided there was like 50,000 imperial citizens on it, but like yeah. billions of prisoners. Yeah, with massive penises. Mm-hmm. The, the penis massive list penises. Of penis. yeah. And since penis it was a mining... Was Sorry. And since it was a mining colony, the world had been infiltrated by a gene stealer cult who had done their job and then started to ring the dinner bell, announcing to any nearby Tyranid hive fleets that the soup was on. Meanwhile, a rogue trader had stopped by the planet to sell, get this, water. And while the rogue trader was on the planet, they came across some adventuring knights of House Dizantine who were there on their journey home but they had currently been stranded on the planet after the conclusion of some job that they had worked for the adaptus mechanicus adaptus mechanicus dropped him off said we'll be back and then ditched <laughs> maybe they'll be back who knows those those cog boys don't think in normal time right we didn't really worry about defining much more than that i i pretty much gave everything to you guys and if you guys happen to catch any of those streams We actually laid all of those story elements out on our title screen, which showed the planet and had like a technical readout of the Imperium. I'll I'll try to dig that out and put it on screen for our patrons right now. And for those of you who might be listening to the podcast, if you head over to our Discord community, I'm sure we'll also put it there so you can check it out. Yeah. So one of the uh, one of the the points I want to bring up is essentially how Tom is created his own lore for his army, obviously. and All of you have piggybacked off of it. And when he, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and essentially, Tom, Tom's knights come out of the warp and fight and, and are essentially sucked back into the warp. Through various times. Through, through various you know, times time. and, and areas. And that's that's some that's a prime example of when somebody comes up to Tom and they're like, "Hey, you're going to be a part of our crusade, or you're going to be a part of our campaign. Why are your knights fighting in this battle or fighting in this crusade?" Tom would be like, "Oh, well, the backstory of my knights is they're constantly uh, spit out of the warp and sucked back in. This is essentially why I joined the battle for specific, you know." And mm-hmm. they have no idea that you know who's a part of the Imperium, who's a part of Chaos. Yeah. They just come out, and if things start shooting at them, guess what? They're going to start shooting shooting back. back, Yeah, right. So it's a prime example. If I remember correctly, they had popped out. They had done stuff, some stuff with the Adaptus Mechanicus, and then the Adaptus Mechanicus had kind of like left them behind. Essentially, I basically make it easy mode for stories. As for like reasons, I'm there. I'm like, eh. basically, I just wrote it into the lore to where it's like, okay, now I have an excuse to play anything at any time. You know, while still being in theme. You know, and I mean, in a lot of ways, Marky, you did the same thing with the way that you designed out your Death Watch. Your Death Watch have a tendency to just show up when they're needed to fight Xenos mm-hmm. or steal something. Exactly. <laughs> the secret ingredient is crime. <laughs> Eleven herbs and spices? I think not, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you mean mine. <laughs> So our plot points for this were incredibly simple as well. We decided on a three-game spread at the time, and we were a little overplaying our standard objective and secondaries play style, and we wanted to kind of just do an all-out slugfest. So plot point one, which coincided with game one, Hive Fleet Splinter, they who thirst, arrives in orbit and descends onto the planet, attacking a mining complex in order to join up with the Gene Stealer cultist forces. This 
was an annihilation mission. We didn't play objectives. We didn't play secondaries. We literally punched each other until one side lost. From there, we the, had two the branches. Yeah. From there, we had two branches. If the Xenos forces won, the next mission would be get the VIPs. And those were a set of stranded Imperial agents that had high value brain bits for the hive mind to feast upon. If the Imperium forces won, the Imperium had managed to already rendezvous with the VIPs and would be securing them to get them off planet by escorting them to the safety of the nearby heart, uh, forge complex. Marky and I won. <laughs> Plot point two, we literally stole from the movie Tremors. <laughs> Our Imper Imperial VIPs, in fact, were named after the two main characters of the movie Tremors. They were stranded in the middle of the board and played by two Death Watch heroes with an NPC Imperial Guard force that moved with them. However, since we're weird and we like scatter dice, we decided that the VIPs moved erratically until they were captured. And if I remember correctly, we had to capture them with our Death Leapers and you guys just had to capture them. Yeah. And, and to capture them, you just had to touch them. So the knit, so like gene stealers couldn't capture these guys. We literally had to get a special unit to escort them. But these guys just had to touch them. To make it a little bit more interesting, as we mentioned, the Imperiums were trying to rescue them and the Nids just wanted that sweet, sweet gray matter soup. We also had a branch that happened in the middle of the game itself. If the Xenos captured the VIPs, and got them to a special area, they would be able to bring in 250 points of reinforcements. If the VIPs, or if the Imperiums captured the VIPs, they got the same thing. Also, the end of the game had a branch. If the Xenos won, the last game would be played at the walls of the Imper Imperial Forge complex. If the Imperium for with the Imperium forces pushed back to their last hold, trying to guard a rear retreat as the last of the Imperial citizenry and the knights and everybody else was able to get on the ships that the rogue trader had and get away from the planet. If the Imperium won, they would get to deploy outside the city walls with an extra 200 points for game three. In either case, though, game three was endless Tyranids, as the story at that point was basically the planet was being consumed and the Imperials were just trying to get as many people off planet as possible. Somehow, Marky and I won game two as well. <laughs> Because um, Kevin threw all his guard at the people and my gene stealers went, mm. Mm. <laughs> If I remember correctly, it. you used your psychic power to turn Beast's oh. Knights on Kevin's Imperial Guard, <laughs> which pretty much decided yeah. the middle of the game pretty quickly. Uh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot. That was uh, such yeah. stupid psychic the thing. The old mind control. Yeah. yeah, I think that was my, uh, my Avenger Gatling cannon, too. Yeah, it was just like, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> little friend. <laughs> Best round of shooting in the whole game. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so plot point three, essentially, as I mentioned, was just a last stand scenario. Overwhelmed by the chittering masses of Tyranids, the knights and the rogue trader forces were set to hold for as long as possible, while as many of the Imperium citizenry could be saved. Overall, we made sure that none of the losses had to result in death throughout any of these games though for instance this didn't happen but for instance if beast knight had gone down he wasn't dead he was just removed from the fight he would be rescued or repaired either at the beginning of the next game or in between sessions and same with kevin's heroes if any of them went down yeah uh, beast however knight beast knight 
Yeah, I was gonna say Beast Knight never actually went down. Even when we right. won That's against right. you in Annihilation, it was just we had won. So yeah, we called it at like turn four. <laughs> yeah, Beast Knight, Best Knight. Um, on the other hand, as Marky and I were playing the Endless Horde, our heroes, if they died, they died. The interesting thing is I think in both cases, my Swarm Lord didn't die at, in any of the three games, and I don't think your Patriarch died either. I don't believe so. I, I lost my Broodlord. I lost lots of Broodlords. <laughs> and lots of Molochs. <laughs> yep. I was too busy slaying all of your monsters. <laughs> oh my god, man. But the Swarm Lord made it. Of course, I, I it's because Kevin would like deploy stuff in our back lines and I would just Swarm Lord him to death. So we designed this as a small campaign, but even just with the little bit that we laid out, it would be very, very easy to expand it and run it with more people. Say at our local LGS onboard gaming. By the bones of our design, we already have the faction goals for Imperial Knights, Imperial Guard, Gene Stealer Cults, and Tyranids pretty well established. While it might be easier to expand into other Gene Stealer Cult and Tyranid players, Knight and Imperial Guard players would largely follow the same pattern that Beast and Kev had laid out. Or in this particular case, maybe the other Imperial Guard players are PDF. Maybe the planet itself has knights. Pretty easy to kind of just switch. If they, if you didn't want to run Imperial Knights from the Byzantine house, you could just say, oh, my Imperial Knights are from this planet. Mojavius and Gundus is a desert planet, wealthy in minerals, but almost devoid of water. It being an almost dead tomb world writes itself, and Necron players might side with or against the Tyranids, depending on the plot point or the given mission. The Necron forces may not even be that concerned if the entire world is stripped of biomass and becomes a dead planet. They'll just be like, cool, thanks for handling that for us. We're going to go back to sleep. The Tain of Chaos is ever-present. Let's say that there's an ancient demonic rule relic that was discovered in the mines by the gene stealer cult and a cor and it's corrupted some of the penal population to chaos instead of into gene stealer cultists and they've called upon the forces of the arch enemy chaos's goal is to secure and remove this relic before the tyranids eat the entire world yes giant in response chaos relics oh yeah in Everyone. response to <laughs> In the response to that, obviously, the Eldari show up because fuck chaos. And because the Eldari showed up and there's a bunch of chaos, not chaos as in the faction, but chaos as in nobody really knows what's going on, the Jukari show up to just capture as many prisoners as they can for their slave pits. It's, it's this sort of stuff that just, it rolls as you look at it. Some of the weirdest or hardest things to really figure out would be like, why is the Imperium there? Why are the Tau there? But I have really quick solutions for that, too. A saint died somewhere near this planet during the Age of Apostasy, and that there's a shrine there. All of a sudden, you have a reason for not only Sisters of Battle, but several Space Marine factions to care, to desire to secure and remove the relic. Or maybe there's just Space Marines in the area, and they hear the call for help and show up. Any flavor of the Imperial forces could also respond to anything that we've laid out above including already being on the planet or maybe being part of a night retinue or something like that lastly let's just say that there's an unknown ancient crude war sphere that's trapped under the thin polar ice the mechanicus who have greedily abandoned house Byzantine for some reason are doing it because they are trying to quickly harvest as many secrets as they can as the tyranids attack however 
the Tau and Kroot have arrived to try to stop them. There's nothing to really stop the expansion of even this relatively relativistically simple idea into as big as you want. And at the end of the day, we didn't really do anything except steal major plot points from the movie Tremors. <laughs> so great. <laughs> Evan Bacon. Kevin Bacon. So as you expand your campaign, you will also expand your plot points. As we laid out why other factions might be on the planet, a lot of the plot points that we started originally, those three that we started with originally, we just started to fill in a bunch more by verify or, um, uh, justifying backgrounds for different factions. In the case of this expanding Mahavia Singundus campaign, you know, we now have a bunch of linchpins that can be used, linchpin plot campaign points, things where the story hinges that can determine why those three games or maybe those three days or maybe those three weekends of play or three weeks resolve it doesn't have to be what we set up it can expand as we go through it we can sprinkle those other plot points in either between the games or we can allow people in an lgs usually when you're running a campaign people don't all show up on the same day they've got a week to play their games in so you just sprinkle stuff that they can use on any of the days or the games that they're going to play and even those three plot points can get scaled out as well so we might not have say two named vips but each table that gets that mission type, that takes a branch that leads to that mission type, is now trying to rescue or capture intelligent assets, scientists, or maybe mineral stockpiles that are scattered around a map. You can expand with faction-specific plot points as well, focusing on the big four subdivisions. Chaos is trying for goal A, Xenos are trying for goal B, Imperium is trying to survive, the Gene Steelers and Nids are just here for the free buffet, baby. I really like this buffet idea. I'm stuck on the buffet idea. Maybe it's because buffets are opening back up. Lastly, expanding out of a garage means expanding how you track the campaign's progress. While you might not be doing a branching narrative campaign, some games and those games may not influence the story. Most times you're still going to want to track your players and gather information for a leaderboard. A lot of times your players are going to want you to track the information and gather it for a leaderboard. In the garage, we set a bunch of wins to inform the next mission, and then we play the story that we were interested in playing. At an LGS, you're doing that as well, but you're going to invariably collect those wins, losses. You're going to average them out to come up with the four goals of your big subdivisions, and then you're going to announce how those results affect the next day or segment of gaming. Or you might provide instructions based on these wins and losses to the table whoever wins gets these conditions and moves to the tables to your left whoever loses gets these conditions and moves to the tables to your right generally players as i mentioned earlier really kind of want to see who won so reward them with a leaderboard at the event space or lgs this is can be as simple as a sheet of paper or maybe you have a website or social media setup that you're using to update or maybe it's as complex as a map or physical leaderboard with like magnetic plaques it really is up to you how you want to do this however i caution you don't get bogged down into the mindset of who won the tournament because at the end of the day a lot of this campaign stuff is getting away from who won the tournament so run votes at the end of each weekend for best sportsmanship maybe run something that 
goes to who had the best army lore, who has the best painted army, who has the best painted hero. Have fun with it. As uh, as Tom's kind of said before, it's not so much about the end goal or the ending. It's the journey that it took to get there. It's not the destination. It's the journey. Yeah. Yeah. And as you peel back some of this stuff and you start to play around with different mission types and you start to play around with different things, you'll notice that it becomes less concerning in how many points of units I lost. How many kills did my hero get? How many secondary objectives did I score? You can still track all of that stuff, and I encourage you to, but realistically, you can make it pretty much anything you want. And that's yeah. really the beauty of campaigns and the, the reason that I think we all love them. Yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, you can keep track of heroic deeds or heroes that were born during this campaign. Uh, we, we always go back on our past experiences, like Deadeye, for example, doing, you know, crazy heroic deeds. Feats. To, <laughs> yeah, yeah, feats, heroic feats to essentially gain their, you know, their renown, their honor, their, you know, why, why is he better than than any other pathfinder because he lived because <laughs> he blew a captain's face off with his rail gun because mm-hmm. he had a rail gun <laughs> <laughs> didn't he didn't he survive like a mission or two alone like he was the lone yes survivor. Oh, yeah. he's lone survivor like twice yeah it was That's awesome i hate him yeah <laughs> i'm gonna upgrade him to a crisis suit with rail guns oh yeah i love it so yeah it, it's that's really the conclusion or or the end of this series on campaigns and why to do campaigns and obviously there's a lot more knowledge on campaigns out there campaigns are constantly changing you know as we mentioned throughout this entire series campaigning is not confined to warhammer 40k and dungeons and dragons campaigns are called dungeons and dragons campaigns for a reason uh you know if you're into historic wargaming, you might be replaying an existing campaign like the North African conflict in World War II, for instance. There's a lot of stuff that falls into using this same word. And as we pointed out in our last creative writing, or as we pointed out in all of our creative writing episodes, really, borrow existing when you make your stuff. We borrowed heavily from the Tremors movies when we designed the Mojave Segundus campaigns that we ran. We shamelessly stole from Starship Troopers for single missions before. Countless times. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's, it's like this, right? Like one, and I was explaining this to someone the other day when they were talking about writing, how they're like, Oh, I can't really write. And I was like, neither can I, you know, but what I can do is I can research. Right, And a lot of the times, one of the things you can do is pick a specific, like figure out the details of, of some thing, right? You're on a planet, you know, you're doing this thing and you're like, oh, it's snow. I kind of want him to fight a monster, you know, and this could be for anything. It doesn't have to be 40K. I'm just thinking, I'm just going to use this as an example. Well, say Google abominable snowman. You know, right. get your details, figure it out, like, like find out, like, what's the definition? Like, what is this thing? And then just write, like, copy all that stuff down and then just start tweaking, just start changing, like changing a couple things like their normal home is Tibet, you know, and then you just be like, mm, 
northern wherever you want it to be northern portion of the galaxy yeah something right. like that right like northern hemisphere of a planet you know like and the planet is tobias instead of tibet you know what i mean like like that's that's how these these creative things start like you, you like for me anyway that's what helped me was i would pick something specific something very detailed and i would read all about it i would copy it all down and then i would just start tweaking it I just start changing things here and there, here and there. And I'd read it over and over and over again, change out this word for this one, change out this place for this one. And by the end of it, I've got a completely original story. That's totally based off of something that exists on Google. You know, right. you, you, you'd be shocked at how effective it is. Yeah. Like just I, coming off. I was just going to say, just riffing off the top of my head. We spoke about uh, Attack on Titan earlier. You have a local PDF that's, you know, surrounded by fauna that's extremely, you know, deadly. And you have a guy finally there, you know, the PDF's forces are broken and they break down into the, you know, into the city, the hive city or whatever it is. And, you know, they, you know, the, the, the your character's parents die and he joins the local PDF, becomes a sergeant, becomes a lieutenant, becomes a commander eventually you know maybe even becoming a commissar or maybe he's recruited into the imperial knights because he has the you know the mental fortitude to become a, a knight armager like armager or whatever the hell they yeah are. well i'm like and exactly that too like what's the first wall called like alexandria maria, maria yeah right so when you're coming up with this right and you want to tell the story you're like oh it's wall maria oh, what could we have maxim wall maxim you know planet yeah, maxim hive hive maxim you know what i mean like boom right there now you've got a completely custom name yeah, hive marius hive, yeah oh dude even better hive marius yeah hell yeah you see what i mean it's just like that it, it and we there's nothing that we're coming up with that hasn't been done yeah you know and that's just a riff off of you know an anime that we talked about for two seconds at the beginning of the pod mm -hmm. right and as a dirty little secret when i sprinkle in a lot of the hive news when i come up with the hive news I really don't know what I'm doing. We we built these guys helped me build a cheat sheet so I can roll some dice and, and kind of uh, come up with news events. But for instance, today we decided to to have Zygonia return to stage with their new album, and I was like, okay, well, obviously if they've got a new album, they're going to be on a tour. And I'm like, all right, so return to is always a thing that bands do. Well, return to. That's boring. What can I do? Return to darkness. Ah, return to darkness. Return to darkness is effing metal, but it's kind of weak sauce. So I went to Google Translate and I typed in darkness and translated it to Latin, mm -hmm. which is tenebris. So I made it the return to tenebrisal horror. <laughs> oh, yeah. Literally just dude. Uh, <laughs> most that was it. Most of my it. lore, most of my lore for the short stories that I'm writing for the Disney Nights are changing their names to latin you yeah. know a yeah, lot it, of it is the cities i mean uh what is it like beast city right that he came from is like con, con something or other like is it con whatever i typed it into latin and it was like oh concasson and i was like oh yeah that sounds like a good name for a planet cool there Done. you go you know, yeah. boom. The original Disney stories were based off like uh, super graphic, her, yeah, super graphic grim story tales. Yeah, originally, yeah. But with 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 their countries of origin. So all mm. I did was I would go to those countries of origin, I would type something from that language into Latin, you know, and then that would be the name, you know, right. And I that's. Mean, oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
that's a thing that you can do with anything too. So, so we keep bringing up examples in 40 K, but historically, as, as you brought up Tom, historically, one of the reasons that knights would like quest was to go get like a big beast that was terrorizing. That's a, it's a very reoccurring theme. Oh Knights yeah, the whole go slaying out, the dragon thing. Yeah, they go out to slay a dragon or whatever. So when I built my fantasy role-playing world, Galdor, I played around with a lot of stuff that isn't normal. One of the things that I built into the story really early on was that Galdor is a planet that exists in a science fiction setting. So there are aliens that have made planet fall. Obviously, the the medieval technology level people don't really understand you know one they have mat magic is real so they're just like oh it they're these are fucking magic sky people like it doesn't really phase them as much but one of the things that happened was one of the races one of their battleships crashed on essentially like the australian continent and it released all of the dangerous hunting animals that this alien race used in their front lines and these are massive beasts that just decimated the entire continent. They turned the entire interior of the continent from a once thriving civilization into a jungle, into a jungle ruin. And all of the population live in these giant walled cities, which I didn't even realize, like you just brought up, I've never seen Attack on Titan, by the way, but I'm getting the idea that they all live in giant walled cities and there's fucking horrible creatures that live outside those walled cities. Mm -hmm. I'm picking up that that's a basic concept. That's a concept from medieval literature. Not only is it a concept in medieval literature, but it's used in one of the Primark books, one of the Primark origin stories. It's the Salamander's Primark origin story. They have to go out when they come of age and fucking kill a Drake. And I and mm -hmm. I just, you know, cyclically, essentially, like mass consciousness, gazalt station or whatever, however you want to look at the way that we culturally distill ideas down, came up with the same concept for a fantasy world. and. The things that parallel your nights that I didn't even think about until I started talking five minutes ago with these guys, these nights, these noble families' children get to a point where their fathers give them essentially magic power armor and go, go kill a big thing. And if you don't, we'll go recover your armor, but you're dead to us. Like you, you, you either come back with the head of a monster. Or we're gonna go collect your armor and give it to your brother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and like, isn't it something similar in uh, three hundred and Spartan yeah. culture? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Come, come back yeah, you with your shield, or come back on your shield, or whatever. Well, in order to become a Spartan, you have to kill uh, a yeah. helot, which is like a slave. Mm. Yeah, and and you have to go. I think you have to go and like live in the wilderness for a certain. That's all part of whatever the helot kill. Like okay. you have to go live like as a child. You're like actually like they they teach you to like steal and do all yeah. this stuff and like roughhouse and live in the woods, you know, or yeah. not woods, but like live on the street. And you know you're to fight for your food and all this stuff because it makes you hard, you know, graveling your guts type thing. And then yeah. when your your final test is they actually send you to capture or well to kill a, a heliot, which is you know basically a servant class. Uh, sort of like you. a surf, you know, in, in England. Um, but that's like, that's your final test is to, is to do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, uh, Spartans in, in Halo, I believe where they were given pets. And if you lose, you were supposed to essentially kill your pet and whoever wins essentially keeps the, gets to keep their pet, you know, alive. 
and then at the end of it you end up having to kill the pet anyway because they're trying to instill that like yeah don't don't have any attachments yeah if, you uh, know you want to know where that comes from by the way the What's ss it? the ss did that new ss officers were given a german shepherd puppy and one of their final assignments and training yeah. was to shoot the dog yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. I think they yeah. did that in uh, Kingsman as well. Yes, they yeah. did. But Kingsman, they but didn't it. actually kill it. But yeah. No, that yeah. uh my one of my favorite movies of all time Dog Soldiers <laughs> was oh, yeah. was he was being hunted by dogs and he was like you killed the dog and like he hands him a gun and he's like kill the dog. He's like I'm not going to do that. And he's like then you fail, you know. But yeah, that yeah. was a very real thing. I mean, they also like uh my my brother knows a couple SAS guys and and they they legitimately torture you. Oh, to yeah, see how sure. long you can hang out. What? No. Right. <laughs> Everybody has a breaking point. It's just how long you can, you know, stave it off. There's a reason I don't like ABBA. That's all I'm going to say in conjunction to this conversation. Uh, what were you going to say <laughs> before Dancing I went into queen. my night's thing? No, stop. <laughs> Flashbacks. I can't take <laughs> middle school dances, Mark. They broke me. <laughs> Yeah, but I, again, like all of this stuff, as much as our podcast in a lot of ways is focused on Warhammer 40K, because it is, our podcast is also focused on storytelling. Our podcast is also uh, focused on developing these creative writing ideas and like expressing yourself through what we all find to be a very healthy, invigorating growth way. You know, it, the well, whole reason. The majority of us too are not writers. Right. You know, you don't, you don't have to be, <laughs> yeah, you don't exactly. have to be a writer at all. And that's, uh, yeah. And that's the point. Like, that's what we're trying to express is that, you know, we're, we out here, <laughs> you know, and, and we, do we have, yeah, we have found a little happy place in the world, in the universe with this theater, you know, we're, yeah. we're using 40 K as the, the muse uh, to write our stories, but you know, by no means are we limiting you or ourselves even to that universe, you know, and, and these are just things that we've found and, and they do, they do expand, you know, like you, you can take these things that we've talked about. You can take these methods that, I mean, even just sitting around bullshitting with your friends coming up with like, like now I can't stop thinking about hive Marius. Like literally Mark, Mark said that and I'm like, Oh my God, we could do a Pacific rim game. You know what I mean? Like my brain is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. See what I mean? Monsters on the outside, hold the walls. Come on. Pacific, the Pacific line. Uh-huh. Pacificus. Right. Yeah, yeah. I have Pacific, whatever. But that's what I'm saying is like, and I mean, we can take this stuff with, with anything that we do. D and D is like huge right now. Oh, and yeah. that is, that is so much about writing stories and then telling them, I mean, yeah movies now are based in those universes you know oh, there's yeah. so many that that there's all these different ways to do it i mean even into like renaissance guilds you can make your own you know i mean it it's limitless you know and you can start by taking these steps you can start by like i said picking something small and then just expanding you know and you'll be shocked when you're like holy shit i should write a book you know yeah, what i mean exactly and it's it's a personal theory of mine, and I I might I'm not, I'm in no way, shape, or form as intelligent as or, or educated in this stuff as some of our past guests like Chalk is. 
But it's one of my theories that one of the reasons that we evolved into a civilization is because storytelling and game playing was very important to us as we sat around the fireplace. Or the, not the fireplace, the, the fire room. Hearth. Hearth. Yeah, we would we would we would congregate at the end of the day after the hunt, after the gather, and we would entertain ourselves by making up games and making up stories. And I think a lot of that stuff, a lot of this stuff, a lot of this spark of imagination puts you into a mindset. You know, nowadays we're thinking about, well, what would life be like on other planets and whether or not there's a way to sustain and build that way. And science fiction authors in the past have predicted technologies or even planted the seeds for technologies that completely exist that, that exist now that we take for granted. Arthur C. Clarke defined broadband and satellite communication 40 years before anybody thought of either of the two words that I just mentioned. But the things that he laid out in a book are almost exactly how they're done. And was that him being really good at predicting? Or did he suggest something and then somebody who did have the know-how went, that's a good I, that's a good fucking idea. How do I make it a reality? Um, I use that I use that terminal. I work in or I work in renewable energy, right? And I use that terminology all the time when I talk about the industry. They're like Oh, well, what made you get into, you know, solar? And I say, well, you know, in every book, every movie, everything that we've ever talked about the future, what does everything power off of? If it's yeah. not nuclear or like ion, you know, when you're talking to people who like really are in depth into this sci-fi culture, they're like, oh, solar power. And I'm like, boom. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's why I'm in yeah. that industry. Like, treasure planet. Yeah. Like, you know, they harness the power of the stars, you know, like that's technically what solar power is you know and that's i'm in an industry because of my reading of of you know science fiction a lot of people it's funny how people go like oh well solar isn't that powerful and like in 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 and then they'll name off some like magic mystic sci-fi highness and it it's like okay well the sun is a fucking fission nuclear reactor first off mm. <laughs> yeah i don't think it's that solar isn't powerful it's that our technology isn't up to snuff. Yeah. It's not efficient um, enough. I, I read, I read this week that if we didn't have, or, or that if space transmitted sound, nobody on earth would be able to hear because of how loud the sun is. But Oh yeah. Yeah. Like even though we're this far away, it would still deafen everything on earth. Well, I mean, think about like a fire pit, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, now now it's real big. <laughs> yeah, and and seven light minutes away. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean nine light well, minutes or whatever. Put it put, volcanoes, right? A yeah, pyroclastic oh, yeah. cloud. That's basically a sonic boom. Yeah, <laughs> you it'll, know, it'll, that's just yeah, that's you, that uh, is the heat vaporizing the air, and yeah. that's causing this pyroclastic cloud, which can literally decimate miles, you know, of anything. It's just like fucking destroyed. You know, yeah. let alone your ears, right? Yeah, yeah, let alone right. your ears. Right. Like, sorry, but you're also your fucking bollocks are gone too. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm not really worried about my hearing. I have no feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's just, it's just all of these science fiction, all of these horror, all of these existential dread story elements, all of this stuff that we play with is all about expressing and learning and growing, and. Uh, and I, I think that's pretty fucking awesome. And thankfully I've got cast mates who also think that's pretty fucking awesome. So 
we hope you guys enjoy when we break down these creative writing elements. And if you want to know more about them, please reach out and ask us. Uh, I obviously have a little bit more experience in creative writing, but Tom is a fantastic fireside storyteller. I honestly don't know a better fireside storyteller than Tom. Oh, he can sit down you. and come up with a, a short story right there. Marky talks a lot of shit about well, himself. I was going to say, I'm somewhat of a bullshit artist. So. Mm, yeah, you, it is a fine art. When he gets a couple of ideas in a soup together, he can bounce those ideas off each other. In a lot of ways, I may have came up with the name for the Mojavia Segundus storyline, but Marky was the one who was like, let's, let's use tremors. Let's do this. Let's play around with this idea. Yeah, I mean, alone I'm not I'm not too great, but I I can elevate people's ideas. Hive Marius 2023. <laughs> Hive Marius 2023. And then you know Kevin just doesn't show up to record episodes, so <laughs> Kevin's got Kevin's got the knowledge base of the logic. Like the I, there's yeah. there's so many times I go like there's actually quite a few questions I've been like, how does how did guard get to the planet? You know right. what I mean? He's like, oh, let and, me he, and he knows, he knows <laughs> the know, supply like, lines. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's yeah. like, this is how they make planet fall. Because that's a huge. That is always a huge question for you me. Got by three the way, hours to talk about this right. <laughs> that is always a huge question for me because I've done a lot of research. I have no fucking clue how most of these armies make planet fall, and that is yeah. like the oh, coolest yeah. sounding thing. Like we're gonna make planet fall. Like ooh, ooh, that sounds good. <laughs> you know, you're like, I want to do yeah, that too. Yeah, exactly. You're like, I want to <laughs> do that too. It takes it takes all sorts. Um, and there's there's no right way or wrong way to do it. But I definitely love putting together these creative writing episodes, and these guys give me valuable feedback as I'm designing them. And you know, we've got endless supplies of stories and experiences that we want to share with you guys. If anybody wants, uh, you know, you can can comment on our various things that ryan's going to talk about at the end of this but if anybody is interested uh i am as i've said working on short stories and eventually i want them to where i can literally have it's funny you said i literally want to have a fireside story time um if anybody wants to see that as a like a video right if you if you, anybody remembers watching winnie the pooh when the dude sits down and he opens his book and he's like once upon a time if anybody actually wants to see something like that let me know because I I will do it if enough people want it. So so because you brought up Winnie the Pooh and because we are a horror and grimdark podcast, we haven't done horror and grimdark in a while. But I did did you know that Winnie the Pooh hit public domain in January of 2022, and they are currently working on a horror film called Winnie oh. the Pooh: Blood and Honey. Right? Yes, now. yes, I see, and it looks like the picture I saw of the way you looked. I was like, it's Dude. fucking horrifying. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty bad. It it's reminds, like a, it's like a Leatherface, but Winnie the Pooh. It reminds, it reminds me, me of the dude of. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, was it remind you? Reminds me of uh, the Garfield comic where. <laughs> Garfield is like this where he turns you know into a Cthulhu-ish horror yeah. thing. <laughs> Where's my lasagna? Exactly. John. And he like walks out and you're just like, oh God, Jesus, fuck. Do you hate Mondays, John? I hate Mondays, John. It's Monday. <laughs> he looks like this nasty, like Nurgle, Nid, uh. like Matt biomass thing i just, thing I just keep thinking of what he's like oh sorry piglet 
but you were delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see the, it was one of the first like internet meme things ever. And it was Winnie the Pooh doing his morning exercises. And he came out Mm. and he looked in, he came out, he came waddling out and he's like, oh, hail Satan. Hi (laughs) Satan. Today we're going to do our exercises. Six, six. Six and he's like doing his like bending over to touch his nose. If I, I wish it still, this is like a pre YouTube like short. Yeah. Oh, like E bombs world status. Yeah, like, yeah, it was fucking yeah, hysterical. Yeah. Um, I remember those days. Uh, where so it it's uh it the was like oh it the pictures of the poster marquee remind me of I don't know if you ever found him at Wasteland, but the guy that wears like a smiley face, like a it's like a yellow smiley face on his face at Wasteland. Yeah, with the ghillie if suit. You, yeah, if you catch him as part of the bounty hunter thing, one of the things that they're you're supposed to do is you're supposed to take off your mask when you're caught. He takes off his mask and he's wearing a silicone smiley face that looks like somebody modeled the human head into a smiley face it's fucking oh, disturbing as shit and like giddy. the eyes are bleeding and the mouth is bleeding i was like that's dope <laughs> that's yeah. scary as fuck but that's how unsettling this winnie the pooh poster is <laughs> yeah it's pretty weird it's literally like leather face but winnie the pooh i wonder if he has pants <laughs> or if he's just gonna straight poo bear it just I just a t-shirt <laughs> i just hope poo- not he's just gonna poo bear it everywhere he goes just ass, and dude. <laughs> just ass and balls hanging out the whole time yeah guys so if you have any questions about writing campaigns maybe you have a campaign idea of your own or maybe our campaign episodes inspired you to write some lore we want your lore bits we also want to know your spooky tales your cryptid experiences and everything else. We do have a Tales from the Hive series where we not only share our own lore, but we share your guys' lore, our listeners' lore on the podcast. And we also have a Loris Obscurious series where we specifically dive into all the spooky dookie things in the real world and then try to relate them back into designing lore for the Warhammer 40k universe. You can get us that stuff a number of ways. Two ways to get that to us is through our email addresses, which are under the hive of madness at gmail.com or jimdarkgaming at gmail.com. Another way is to become an involved member in our Discord community. It really is probably one of the best ways to reach out to us, um, to communicate. We're on there all the time. Uh, we're active participants in the Discord. We don't just make it for people. We're actually part of it. Um, and it's probably like a lot of people. We've talked to a lot of people that are in the Discord. And uh, there's some people that don't even listen to our podcasts or our streams or anything like that. And they're just active in the Discord. And to be completely honest, we're happy either way. You know, we're trying to to create a community, and that's exactly what we strive for. If you listen to us, if you don't, whatever it may be, but that is the place to hang out, you know. So we're always happy when people join. You can also find us around the internet. Not only do we have our own website, but you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We've got links to all that stuff, including TikTok. Excuse me, also TikTok. We have links to all of that stuff down in our show notes to make it a little bit easier so you don't have to guess at the spellings of all of this stuff. If you want to help the podcast grow, we got two ways for you to do it. The first way that you can do it, and probably the easiest and quote, quote unquote cheapest way, is to go ahead and like and review us wherever you get your podcast fix. Also, please be sure to share our episodes. If you're catching up with or you just found us, we actually do release 
video component episodes as well on YouTube. It's uh, it's an equalizer bar with a couple of memes and all of that, but it does give you a different experience if YouTube's more your speed. And there you can subscribe to us and you can ring that little bell. So that's another way to help us out. The other way to help us grow is through Patreon. We have our own Patreon set up at www.patreon.com slash under the hive of madness. Not only do all Patreon members get episode get video episodes of each one of our podcasts which are a little bit longer because we do a specific amount of patreon update information at the beginning before the podcast actually starts but you also get a little bit of an unedited experience so when i stumble across how to pronounce a word or uh, tom makes a point way better than i was going to make it and then i read my notes anyway um, and then in the middle, go, what the fuck am I doing? Tom, you said this way better than me. <laughs> if you want to hear me be an idiot, there's a way to get there. Uh, honestly, I started to rewatch a lot of the things on Patreon. And when, you know, I've had visions for, you know, like obviously our, our podcast and things like that. It's the best way to watch. Yeah, hands down. Like it's worth the money, you know, one, you're helping us, which is immense, but also it's worth it. Like, I mean, it really is like, like to get, to jump on and watch all those videos and you can actually see the videos and, and it's funny. Cause like, you know, sometimes like we'll mess with each other without even like thinking about it properly. You know what I mean? Like it'll just happen because we won't, <laughs> we forget that we're on camera as well. And honestly, yeah. like it's hilarious, dude, like watching, watching them. Yeah. Like watching these past episodes i've been like god why wouldn't why didn't i redo this a long time ago you know so i mean honestly like for for the tier brackets that you know you could jump on patreon for us and as hard as it is to operate patreon because even i was lost follow the links you know subscribe because one it helps us but two it's just way better dude yeah you even get our facial reactions whenever kev rips ass exactly that's what i'm saying like it's just super funny like nothing else does it justice like and i've started trying to do silly like video edit i don't know if i'm good at it but i'm trying to do silly video editing well even (laughs) even just like bringing in like the photos of things like you can see like like ryan does a great job like referencing what we're talking about it's just so good dude like honestly like i wish we had that on everything you know or you can just, you can give us money for it, and that's great too. <laughs> getting uh getting access to that is at the three dollar tier, which is our lowest tier too. So for just three dollars a month, you get access to. Argue, that's what I'm saying. Argue, it, yeah, it's so arguably, worth it. <laughs> thirty to forty minutes of extra content every episode, all sorts of that stuff. You also get um access to our painting contest. We give away a trophy four times a year. We're also trying to do some other giveaways, or we also try to do some other giveaways throughout the year as well uh yeah we've got some custom art up there and i am diligently working on some pdf resources and materials for people to use in developing their own game settings or their own planets and their own sectors and everything in warhammer 40k so i i think it's worth it i think that there's a lot of value in there our our newest patreon member tom thinks that there's a lot of value in there (laughs) i wasn't Um, gonna say i just joined you know i was saying that i started to watch but you know you won't put me on blast it's fine (laughs) i mean you're you're on the cast so you get access to everything for free but yeah i know but i mean it's uh showing support yeah i was like it was like i said it's worth it like i I pay for it myself (laughs) it made it it made me smile too i was like (laughs) oh 
Well, the cracked Elysium is about to split in half and crack again, with the Underhive going absolutely nuts. I didn't know that they could pack more than 500 bodies into this club, but I'm pretty sure we're at, like, what What, do you, what would you say, 15,000 about this point? We got people yeah, hanging off the roof. I mean, there's someone practically inside of me right now. I don't know. The music sucks, but the mosh pit's real good. <laughs> yeah, these opener bands aren't, aren't all that they were cracked up to be, but you know what? Zygonia is on next, and if they don't blow my mind... Uh, I don't know what will. Keep it tuned to 665.66UHMR Chemrat Radio for the rest of the coverage of this concert. And remember, you can find us every week. Same ratty-ass attitude, same ratty Voxwave channel. Squigs are red and ultramarines are blue. If you see a formed emperor, he's coming for you. Aww. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these motherfuckers. Hmm. Motherfucker! <laughs> 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 Sounds good.